Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Nicholas Kakos, the president and CEO of Blue Sky Uranium Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange's BSK and in the U.S. as BKUCF. Blue Sky Uranium is one of Argentina's best-positioned uranium and vanadium exploration companies with more than 4,500 square kilometers of prospective tenements. The company's mission is to deliver exceptional returns to shareholders by acquiring, exploring, and advancing towards production a portfolio of uranium and vanadium projects with an emphasis on near-surface deposits with the potential for near-term, low-cost production. Nico, welcome back to the program, old friend. Nice to have you on the air today. Oh, always a pleasure to be here, Alice. Always a pleasure. Thank you. We're focused on uranium. Uranium and vanadium. Energy, supply, new tech, clean tech. What do you got going on there in Argentina? Uranium is the way of the future. Nuclear power, we're seeing a real renaissance right now globally. We're seeing a huge number of countries. There are 12 countries right now. They're building 71 nuclear reactors. China is spending trillions. They're trying to increase the nuclear power generation by 66,000%. Contrary to most popular belief, nuclear power is safe. Nuclear power is reliable and secure and is one of the most efficient ways to generate carbon-free electricity. And in Argentina, most people may not know, Argentina has already three nuclear reactors that are in production right now. They've got more coming up in planning their big nuclear reactor uh, exporter as well. To satisfy all their needs, they import all their uranium, and they would love to have a domestic source of uranium. And this is where they're looking at Blue Sky Uranium, our company, where we have in southern Argentina discovered not just the largest uranium deposit in Argentina, but a brand new uranium district. So this is a brand new district, essentially, although you've had it for a few years, and Argentina is looking to you, to Big Sky, specifically to fulfill their needs for growth. Yes. Yeah, it's not just, the, like I said, the largest uranium deposit in Argentina. It is a brand new district. It has the potential to be as large as some of the largest uranium mines in the world, like we see in Kazakhstan or in Australia or in Africa. This has potential not just to supply Argentina, but also to be a very significant exporter. And the beauty of it is that the deposit sits right up at surface. It's in the first 25, 30 meters off where all the uranium lies. And it lies in an environment that's not consolidated, so it's kind of like a gravel. So it's like a scraping. There's no blasting involved. It's going to be super cheap to be able to extract this and to determine exactly how we're going to do it. We have an economic study known as a PEA in our industry that's underway, and we're going to have the results of that sometime in the next couple of weeks. You mentioned China, and you threw out a big number, a number which I believe 68,000% growth in that area as far as nuclear reactors and, and clean energy. So I'm thinking that China is looking heavily at Argentina and perhaps to Blue Sky to service those needs. Have you had any conversations with any companies in China? Yes, Chinese groups have definitely been knocking on our door and we've been talking with them. We've also been approached by groups from France. And interestingly, just a few months ago, that Russia announced $250 million investment in Argentina in order to explore 
for uranium deposits. So Argentina seems to be a major destination here, and we have also been approached by Russians. Everybody's interested in what we're doing. We've been approached by various mid-tier and larger uranium mining groups. But at this point, what we have, there's a few key events that need to unfold before I'm prepared to do any kind of deals with anybody. We have something really quite significant. Okay, I imagine we'll have to wait for that significant news potentially that you may be alluding to. Fine, we can do that. We'll have some time during the next few weeks and months to await that news. But let me ask you this particular question with you being an exploration and development company, considering all the interest, are you a potential takeout candidate once you, and I hate asking this question because I ask it of all the exploration companies we have on the air, but are you a potential takeout candidate? You're not a production company, so give us a possible scenario about how this might unfold as you continue to prove out the resource. As we continue to prove out the resource, both the size and its economic potential, I have to state that management and our close friends and associates, uranium has been in a low for a number of years now. It's only in the last year that we've seen at least a 50% rise in the price of uranium, which I think is indicative of that uranium is indeed bouncing out from the bottom. It's a very key point. Management have been investing in the company, and we currently control between 60 and 65% of the company of all the outstanding shares. So if we're going to see somebody come in, we have proven through other programs projects that we have worked on that we can take a project up to feasibility study. And then at that point, what we do, we either partner or sell out for a premium, whatever is the best thing that would benefit the shareholders the most in terms of being able to take the company forward into production. Like you stated, Alice, we're not productionists, but if need be, we can bring people on board and move it towards there. But I don't think we're going to be needing to do that. We're already seeing a tremendous amount of interest in what we're doing in Argentina. So potentially we could see some sort of significant change within the next 12 to 18 months? Yep. I think in the next two months, we're going to have the preliminary economics pegged out. We want to be able to demonstrate that this uranium deposit is along the lines of some of the lowest cost producers in the world. And then we're going to spend the next six months demonstrating how quickly we can grow this deposit. Our plan is in the fourth quarter of this year to enter into pre-feasibility and start doing some preliminary engineering work, moving it towards production. And we'll have to wait and see at that time and see what happens. You have some positive metallurgical test results for the Ivana uranium vanadium deposit. How important is that news? Oh, that's absolutely critical. As I stated, we're putting out a preliminary economic assessment on the company. And one of the most critical components of this report is the metallurgy and then the initial processing, which is basically how efficiently can we extract the uranium and the vanadium from the rock? And then what's the process that we go through in order to have vanadium and uranium in a form that we can readily sell to the utilities? And what the report states, it couldn't be easier it couldn't be cheaper. We basically scoop up the dirt. We put it through a simple wet screening and a scrubbing. We scrub the rocks, remove all the waste. You screen it so you can take out all the larger pebbles. And then you see the uranium and the vanadium grades increasing by a factor of four. And then a very cost-effective alkaline leaching. And then on a leach pad, and you're able to recover a tremendous amount of uranium and vanadium. After that process, 95% of the uranium and 60% for the vanadium. What what that means is I'm expecting this PEA to come in with better numbers than what I was suspecting and we would probably get. What I am expecting 
is to see our costs be in line, if not better, than some of the lowest cost producers in the world, like the Inkai deposit in Kazakhstan. Very similar project, very similar type of mineralization. Difference, of course, is that deposit sits much deeper than ours. So that's why I'm saying I'm expecting our costs to be better. That deposit, by the way, produces uranium at a cost below $15 a pound. So they make money in this environment. So we'll have to wait and see what our report comes out in a couple of weeks. Let's talk about the capitalization of the company, the market cap, and the share structure. Give our audience an idea of what that looks like. Our shares are outstanding. We've got just over 100 million shares. As I stated, about 60 to 65% of those shares are controlled by close friends, management, and insiders. We are big believers in it. The money that we raise, about 85% of the capital goes directly into the exploration of the project. And you can confirm those by looking at our financials that we post on our website. We pay our men staff well because as a public company, there's a cost with that, but our executives take a very nominal fee. Like, for example, myself as a CEO, I take a $5,000 fee, but I own a very significant portion of the company stock. And if Blue Sky has got a win for all shareholders, that's where I'm going to get my win. I'm not looking to get rich by taking money out of the treasury. Well, Nico, thank you so much for joining us today in the program. I look forward to updates as soon as you have them. As soon as we have it, we'll be talking, Ellis. Thank you very much for having me. I've been speaking with Nicholas Kakos, the president and CEO of Blue Sky Uranium Corp. Trending on the TSX Venture Exchange as BSK and the U.S. as BKUCF. Find a link to their website on ours, ellismartreport.com. Join me now for a conversation with Dr. David Terry, geologist and a director with Golden Arrow Resources. Trading as GRG on the TSX Venture Exchange and as GARWF in the U.S. Dr. Terry has more than 20 years of experience focused on exploration for a wide spectrum of precious and base metal deposits throughout North and South America. He has held numerous senior positions with both major and junior mining companies. Golden Arrow is a Vancouver-based explorer and our producer with a history of success in identifying, acquiring, and advancing precious and base metal discoveries. Golden Arrow Resources is a member of the Grasso Group, a management company specialized in resource exploration. The Grasso Group, headed by Joseph Grasso, has worked extensively in South America with a focus on exploration in Argentina since 1993 when the country opened to foreign investment. The group's success at mineral discovery, as well as its achievement in community and government relations, has made it a highly regarded and trusted explorer. Golden Arrow advanced its Chinchilla Silver project in Jujuy Province, Argentina, from discovery to development in just five years. The company now holds a 25% share of Puna Operations Incorporated, a joint venture company operated by SSR Mining. Puna Operations owns the Chinchilla Silver Mine, with more than eight years of forecast production and upside potential. The mine is now producing again. David, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Alice. Good to talk to you. Now, let's give our listeners an overview of the company. Tell us about Golden Arrow. Well, Golden Arrow is a company that's been around since 2004. It's traditionally been focused on exploration in Argentina. It's part of the Grosso group of companies, which have been successfully exploring in Argentina for more than 25 years and have been responsible for a discovery of four major deposits in Argentina over that time frame. One of them being Chinchillas, which has just gone into production and I'm sure we'll be talking about today. Recently as well, Golden Arrow branched out and has acquired two new projects in Chile that were quite the 
excited about. Well, it's interesting because let's talk about the Chinchillas project for a few minutes in Argentina. And it's a producing silver mine, which was in production for a while until about mid-2017, if I understand, and then just repermitted again, if that's the right language to use. And you began producing silver again in December of 2018, just about two months ago. So give us an overview of what we can see from that particular project during the next six months. Sure. The background on that, Ellis, is, is that formerly Silver Standard, now SSR Mining, was operating Perquitas Silver Mine in the northwesternmost province of Argentina called Jujuy. That went into production back in 2009, and they were up producing from that deposit until fairly recently. Golden Arrow discovered a new deposit about uh, 35 kilometers away from Perquitas, and we acquired the property in late 2010, started drilling in 2012, so the discovery would have been around 2012, and we advanced through several resource estimations and PEAs and uh, entered into a uh, option joint venture agreement with what was Silver Standard is now SSR back in September of 2015. That option was exercised in uh, 2017 and a joint venture was formed whereby Golden Arrow owns uh, 25% of the operating company that holds the Perquitas Mine Mill Complex and the Chinchillas Discovery and SSR owns the balance and is the operator of the project. And as you pointed out, that discovery that uh, the Golden Arrow made went into commercial production in December of 2018. So since you're not the operating company, but if you, of course, have the property, does that mean you get a 25% residual in perpetuity throughout the length of this project? Yeah, we're 25% participating partner in it, so uh, we've contributed our share to the capital, which was uh, expended to basically bring the Chinchillas discovery into production and amalgamate that with the Perquitas mine mill uh, operation. We'll also obviously receive uh, 25% of the profits from the mine, so... So this makes Golden Arrow not only a development exploration company, but a production company as well, correct? Correct. That's one of the uh, achievements that we've made that very few uh, junior explorers actually do over their uh, their lifetime. It's hard to wear all those hats, but you're doing it successfully. The guidance for 2018 is that the forecast is going to be 6 to 7 million ounces of silver produced on a 100% basis. So Golden Arrow would you know have to its account 25% of that. And the forecast cash cost on that is 8 to $10 per payable ounce. Moving over to Chile, we announced two projects there last fall. The first that we announced was the acquisition of the Atlantida project, which is in Region 3, north of Copiapó. It's got a fair bit of work that's been done on it in the past by a couple of large majors, Inmet and First Quantum. They identified a large porphyry copper gold deposit that has a historic inferred resource estimate on it. Quite large, 427 million tons of copper gold molly mineralization was defined by them over a one and a half kilometer by one and a half kilometer footprint and adjacent to that so there's a couple of zones of more gold rich scar mineralization which is close to surface and has not been drilled off to date but that's our primary uh, target on this property we think that there's quite a bit of potential in these areas i should point out also that what we've done on this property is we've consolidated a much larger land position including some of these adjacent areas that was not the case when the previous workers were doing that drilling on the property now you're a geologist how actively involved are you in this process in Latin America and Chile and Argentina with Golden Arrow? Well, I am a geologist. I'm a director of the company, and I'm a quite involved director, I guess. We have a VP of Exploration, Brian McEwen, who oversees all the day-to-day work and is responsible for all the discovery work that was done on Chinchillas with his team in Argentina and now working in Chile. But I'm quite involved and have been involved with the company since it was formed back in 2004. 
Tell us about the other property in Chile. It's about 35, 40 kilometers to the west of Atlantida, and it's called Indiana. And it's a gold copper vein style project. It has uh, numerous conjugate veins going in two different directions. It's had quite a bit of sampling and some underground development carried out on it. It has a historic resource as well, totaling about 600,000 ounces of gold equivalent. It's actually permitted for production and has two ramps which access these main veins underground. So again, we look for properties that have have quite a bit of upside potential. We're really exploration people and we want to add value to the company and to the projects by carrying out exploration. Well, tell us about the team. The company is, is led by Joe Grasso, who's the namesake of the Grasso Group. He's the chairman and CEO. He's been working in Latin America and Argentina in particular since the early 90s. He's really the guy behind this company. Nico Kakos is another longtime management person with Golden Arrow and the Grasso Group. He's also on the board of directors. We've got a very well-rounded board of directors with Golden Arrow. We've got Alf Hills, who's a mining engineer, spent a lot of his career with Placer Dome. He's been very helpful in this whole process of evolving from being solely focused on exploration to a part of this development project. Lou Sally, he's a well-known mining lawyer. John Gammon, another geologist on the board, very experienced guy based out of Toronto. I mentioned before Brian McEwen, the VP of exploration. And the share structure, you have around 100 million shares outstanding. Is that correct at about 35 cents Canadian right now? Yes, that is correct. Just over 100 million shares outstanding, no warrants at the moment. Considering what we've accomplished, we have very low number of shares outstanding, and we really do watch that carefully. What can we see the next few months with regard to Golden Hour? What's potentially going to be rolled out? Well, on the uh, production side, obviously, we'll be putting out quarterly results as the year unfolds. We're just now putting together our plans for our projects in Chile and continuing to advance selectively uh, high potential projects in Argentina. And so we'll be continuing to put out news of our plans and results as work moves along on those. Well, Dave, it has been a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to more conversations in the future. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Well, thank you very much for providing me the opportunity to talk about Golden Arrow. I've been chatting with Dr. David Terry, a director with Golden Arrow Resources, training as GRG on the TSX Venture Exchange and as GARWF in the U.S. Find Golden Arrow Resources on our website, ellismartreport.com. Join me now for a conversation with Brent Manich, the president and CEO of Max Resource Corporation trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol MXR. Max Resource is a Canadian-based exploration company focused on identifying mineral assets located within the underexplored northern section of the richly endowed Andean Copper Belt of Columbia. Brett, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ellis. First of all, before we go any further, you are fully trading now. Yes, we're fully trading. Fantastic. And you have some really nice news out. Gold-bearing conglomerate discovery expands your mineralized zone in Columbia. Let's talk about that. Okay. The previous news release, we had a area of eight square kilometers. And in that release, we're trying to find out the lateral extension of this. So there was an outcrop picked up seven and a half kilometers south and what that means is it's extended the what we call the conglomerate zone from 8 square kilometres to 36 square kilometres. I have not seen one of mineralisation flat lying in gold of that size, and it's still open in all directions. And for our American audience, I believe that's 25 square miles. It's a very large area. You have a large land package, and as you said, it's open in all areas. Do you plan on doing some more stepping out? 
Yeah, we plan on doing a bit more stacking out. We are also looking at other areas. The whole exploration strategy is to identify these wide surface areas, pick up some vertical thickness from where there's exposed valleys and exposed outcrop. We think we can identify a number of these. You just have a think of the amount of material you're looking at here. 36 square kilometres. I'm not talking this is all mineralisation. I'm just talking the amount of material and how these flat surface style of deposit and the tonnage can just accumulate so quickly. If you multiply 36 million by 12, which is basically what we think is the thickness or the first indications, and we know the SG is 2.2, that comes up with 950 million tonnes of material. And if you just do a rough thing, and we don't know what grade it is, we're still working on that. But something like that, that was only one gram per tonne, you divide that by 31, now that's 30 million ounces. So that gives you an idea of the enormity. Obviously, all that area is not going to be economically mineralised, but uh, I'm just pointing out on the scale of enormity we are chasing here and what we think there is the potential for. So once again, you just mentioned that you're not sure the economics of the entire district, but certainly you are sure that there's enough gold near surface or at surface or not far from from the surface to where this project is potentially more than economic. Yes, so the area that we have applications now is 1,800 square kilometres. When we do the post-noble transaction, that's going to add on another 600 square kilometres. And all that area, we've staked where there is historical mineralisation or production. So if you put all that into perspective, and I just roundly say 2,000 kilometres, we've got an area there that's 36 kilometres of 2,000, and we know there is similar surface mining areas like this that are spread throughout the district. And that's why I'm calling it a district play. We've got the whole district. And we, in partnership with the indigenous groups there, there's not a public mining company that's actually there with the only ones. You know, it's interesting. Columbia is traditionally known as a place where there's narrow, narrow veins. But certainly that's not necessarily the issue in that part of the world, that part of the country that you're in. You can literally step out as far as you want. Look, at this stage... We think, well, it's looking like it was originally all one big system. You're talking 80 kilometres by 60 kilometres. Looks like it's all the conglomerate system. We don't know what could be there. We like to try and be conservative. I think I am being very conservative. Maybe it's not all economic, but I think we're going to be surprised the amount that is. And if we go back to this, I mean, we've got to go back to Bill Hayden. And I call Bill Hayden. He founded this. He'd been working on this since 2010. He built the relationships with the indigenous groups. He got the right exploration people out there, including the head mining engineer of Choco Pacific. He can literally take us around of all the areas that they mined. And he knows what to look for. There's historical data that pointed and they thought there was gold in these conglomerates. I call it hard rock. Well, we do get a jackhammer that gets samples. The big discovery that we had is when we identified gold on the first pit, what we do there is the material goes to a, just a standard lab. They crush it to minus two and we effectively pan it. If there's some visual gold, we keep doing these panels and if there's not, we evaluate what to do. But at this stage, the fire that had been done in that way all got gold. So if there's a little bit of gold there, we keep going. And then we have processing consultants that are working out how to process what is 2,000 tonnes per panel. Probably won't do two tonnes. They'll work out what they think would be enough to be representative. And they're the type of things we're looking at. We think it's more uniform than what we realise at the 
start. It's fine gold, so we think we're probably going to reduce those panels from 2 metre by 2 metre to 1 metre by 1 metre. If it looks like it is uniform, which we'll know after we start processing a few hundred kilos from each pit. Those individuals that haven't followed Max before, and let's speak to those who also have, what are the plans for the company going six months out, a year out? Naturally, you're going to develop the resource. We're going to find out what you have on the ground. This is ongoing with a district that size. You could be drilling and drilling for years. So what is the mid game? What is the end game? Where are we going? So the, the mid game over the next eight months or so to identify as many panels we can, get an idea of the surface area, also get an idea of the thicknesses, as I said, going to valleys and outcrops, and get a bit of an idea of grade. At the same time, we'd be looking at, do we drill it or do we do accommodation of panels? They're the type of things we're going to have to look at. We think the panels are very effective in that your drill hole is typically up to four inches in diameter with these panels, and if they were one metre by one metre, you can have a much, much larger spacing. The next stage of what I'd see. If we're going to end up putting these things into resource, I'd like to have something like a $50 million budget. You want to be drilling all your targets or doing your work on all the targets at the same time because uh, Murphy's Law is if you've got 10 big targets and you only drill one, probably the one that's not going to fly. So that's sort of what we're thinking. I believe we will get approached by some of the big guys if we can demonstrate what we think's there. My feeling is if it's as big as what I think it is, it's just going to be too big for one of the big guys to have a look. And I think that that would be at a stage when we wouldn't even have a resource. So a possible joint venture in the future and maybe who knows when, perhaps a takeout. Takeout's always the ultimate. My job is, and this, this is our slogan, is to maximise investor return. And the biggest way to maximise investor return is a merger or takeout. Now, we've talked about this before, Brett, comparatively, and you're from Australia. This reminds us of a, a company down there that had a lot of play in the media and was also good for its shareholders back in 2017, and that would be uh, Novo. Novo, and I remember, it was August of 2017. They did their first panel, and it's an exploration company. I know the area in the West Pilbara and I went to an amazing market cap of 1.6 billion which is remarkable for an exploration company. They've come back a fair bit now but it's really at the end of the day they haven't been able to consistently repeat those results but that's the type of thing we're looking at. Head of a company in Australia and this was back in 2001 it was a shell capped at 1 million. I identified a XBHP iron ore mine that everyone said was mined out I've never seen an ore body that doesn't continue at depth. Four years later, we got taken out for 300 million. Really, that's my ultimate goal with Max. My feeling is it's going to be worth a lot more than 300 million. Well, Brett, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I thank you so much for joining me today in the program, and I look forward to more good news. Okay, thank you, Alice, and I look forward to having another chat. I've been speaking with Brent Manich, the president and CEO of Max Resource Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol MXR. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Paul Westsells, President and CEO of Western Copper and Gold, trading as WRN on the New York Stock Exchange and WRN on the TSX. Western Copper and Gold is solely focused on developing the world-class casino project located in the politically stable Yukon Territory. Currently in the permitting phase, Casino is poised to be the premier copper gold mine in Canada and the flagship mine for the Yukon. Western Copper and Gold, through its wholly owned subsidiary, Casino Mining Corporation, is committed to developing the casino mine in a manner that provides economic opportunity for all involved, while maintaining the highest levels of social and environmental practices. 
Paul, welcome back to the program. It's great to be talking to you again. Before we talk about Western copper and gold, I'd like to discuss the sentiment in the sector and how you're feeling about it and what you've heard and what are your peers telling you, what are the shareholders saying, and your general sentiment overall. Sure. We're just up here in Vancouver. We just finished up the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, which was last week, and then this week was Roundup. It's been a very, very busy time, and sediment, certainly to kick off 2019, is significantly better than the sediment that we had at the end of 2018, or actually just the entire second half of 2018. We've seen gold go through $1,300 an ounce here, which it's always amazing how these nice round numbers get people excited, and that's that's what we've seen here. And, and then on the copper story, of course, which is another part of what we have, sort of the same story that we had last year, but beginning to gather some steam again. I mean, you've seen inventories very, very low. You've seen copper sort of bounce around a bit, but really sort of holding on pretty well to the 270 to 280. It had a nice big move today up about five cents, again, on some low inventories. The story of the supply side and the lack of really good new projects out there continuing to resonate. Well, as long as technology continues to reinforce invent itself and propagate. And as long as infrastructure stories still abound throughout the world, the need for copper is only going to continue to grow while the demand cannot keep up. Absolutely. I decided to put my money where my mouth was over the Christmas holidays. I bought myself a Tesla. I've got a lot of personal copper sitting in my garage here now as well. But that's part of the story is that use of copper. You know, I was talking to a group today that's looking at putting in wind turbines across North America. And you were talking to us about the potential to put that in our potential mine. And they're excited about working with us as a potential copper mine because these wind turbines, the amount of copper in them, it's just astronomical. So as it's truly a green metal on the demand side and then on the supply side, you know, we need big projects. Copper projects are all big projects. They're not like gold projects. Everybody would like to have them in, in a good jurisdiction. And of course, Canada is a good jurisdiction and there's just not a lot of them. And so we as the management of Western Copper and Gold and as a shareholder, as a big shareholder of Western Copper, gold are very happy to have that asset up in the Yukon. Well, you've got a inferred resource of 5.4 billion pounds of copper, and that is very, very significant. It's not a small project, the casino project. You also have 9 million ounces of gold inferred, and we're not even talking about reserve. My question is, how will this be advanced during 2019, in your opinion? We can't see the future, but we have some idea of where we're going. Yeah, and you know, I just want to point out, as you said, that's the inferred resource. If you look, if you take the inferred resource and add the reserve, you're looking at 18 million ounces of gold and 10 billion pounds of copper. So a significant copper and gold resource. And if you look at the revenue, it's not quite 50-50, but it's fairly evenly distributed between copper and gold. 2019 is really going to be a continuation of really what we accomplished in 2008. In 2018, the key development was really essentially getting everybody on the same page around what to do with tailings and mine waste. And that was a key accomplishment for 2018. It's a key part of the permitting process. And in 2019, we're just going to continue the engineering on that. So that's sort of going to be one of the key developments. The other key one is really, and this has to do with the changing landscape in terms of the gold space in particular. We've been working hard to get a, a strong partner to help us advance this project and certainly there's always been some strong interest from the copper space. In the gold space now with the merger that you've seen with Newmont and Gold Corp and Barrick and Rand Gold, you now have two very large gold companies and these large gold companies being large gold companies, in order for them to be 
make meaningful investments, they really need to start to look at large gold deposits. And with 18 million ounces of gold and the overall resource and half of that in the reserve, you know, we represent one of less than, I mean, I think there's maybe, we've got it in our corporate presentation, and I think there's sort of six or eight deposits that aren't already owned by the majors that have more than 12 million ounces in overall resource. So it's a small group of projects. And again, not all those are in great jurisdictions. Not all those are economic projects. So to have an economic project located in a great jurisdiction such as Canada is is a very valuable thing to have. You know, some of the speculation is amongst us journalists is what is going to happen in the Yukon with these new mergers? You mentioned Barrick, you mentioned Newmont. Will there be consolidation or will there be more acquisition? Will there be downsizing? Will there be upscaling? We don't know. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I probably had that conversation more frequently this these past two weeks than any other conversation because, of course, we're located, our casino project, I mean, our claims touch Gold Corp's coffee claims. So, you know, we're, we're next-door neighbors up there in the Yukon, and certainly having a larger company behind that, behind the coffee project, pretty easy to do the math and sort of suggest that there would be some synergies between us and them. But I think that if you look at it, that's just sort of speculation. But I think what's interesting is that when you look at different jurisdictions, there's some with these big companies. So you look at Newmont and Barrick, and there are well-explored, well-understood areas such as, let's say, Note. And I think there's going to be some sort of consolidation around that. Places like the Yukon, if you think of the Yukon, the Yukon has a, you know some good deposits such as ours and, and Gold Corp's coffee deposit, but it's incredibly underexplored. It hasn't seen the level of investment that you have in Nevada. So the potential is significant. So I think that you're going to see more, some of these companies probably wanting to stay in the Yukon because the potential there, I mean, what they know that they have is pretty good, and the upside potential is really through the roof just because of the, not really the underinvestment, but just the comparative lack of investment in jurisdictions such as the Yukon as compared to Nevada and, say, Chile and some of the other places that those big companies operate. Have you had conversations with them off the record? All of the, the major gold companies in that, we, as I said, I mean, we've got 9 million ounces of gold, 8 in reserve and 18 million ounces overall. And so, I mean, we've, over the years, have have had conversations with all of the major gold and copper companies. So they're not strangers. It's not like they they, they don't know what casino and and where it is and what it represents and and what we've been doing. And, you know, everyone keeps tabs on everybody else. So, you know, Newmont and Barrick has a lot on their plate right now. And so, but, you know, certainly as they begin to sort of look at what they're going to do up in the Yukon, I'm sure we'll have further discussions with them. So interrelated, for instance, you mentioned the coffee project. They're either Mm -hmm. going to move on that or perhaps sell it off. We don't know. But if... The Yukon government would certainly like to see everything developed there, and they're doing everything they can to be an affable partner with Barrick and also with Newmont. So on a positive note, we can really see that area develop because there are massive resources everywhere, and there's a commitment from the government to move things forward. So why would either Newmont or Barrick drop the ball, per se, and move on? I don't see it happening. Yeah, and it's, I think they're going to look at these assets in, in a lot of detail, and I'm sure these are big companies, they make good business decisions. But I think you're right. I mean, part of the attraction of the Yukon, and, and you've been up there a number of times, is that government support. It's First Nations that you can work with. To be honest, it's pretty good accessibility. I mean, to get up to Whitehorse and into your site from, you know, I can get up there from Vancouver and back in the same day. 
you're coming from Denver or Toronto, it's, you know, a one night sort of trip. All those things add up. Then on top of that, you just have constantly every year, consistently every year, the Yukon is a jurisdiction. There's been great discoveries. There's been increase of reserves. There's been, I mean, now, right now you have Victoria Gold building a mine. You have, you know, Gold Corp with coffee and, and sort of the last little bits of permitting and, and us sort of a, a little bit farther out on the permitting, but sort of coming up as well as some great discoveries. It's always been an exciting jurisdiction and we've been up there for over a decade. And I always feel like people sort of write it off. Oh, you know, Yukon was flavor of the month last year and then, you know, something big happens and it continues to go. So I'm 100% sure where it's going to come from this. Year, I hope it comes from us, but there seems to be something exciting up in the Yukon every year. What would you like to say to our listeners now in essentially almost February of 2019? There's one thing that I'd like your listeners to sort of take away from this conversation is really as you look at these big mergers in the gold space and where they're going to be putting their money next, they need to be looking at big gold deposits. And then if you go and you can take a look at our corporate presentation or, you know, I always encourage people to do their own, own diligence and, and see what's out there. It is a very small space. If you're looking at significant gold deposits that aren't already controlled by a major mining company, it's an incredibly, I, I was surprised. We just put this together when these mergers started to happen and we were surprised at how few large gold deposits there are out there. That's really what I'd like to leave your listeners with. And that's why when you look at the company and and look at what we're doing, I think you should get excited. And you can find that presentation on the company's website, westerncopperandgold.com. Paul Westsells, thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you, Alice. It's been great. I've been speaking with Paul Westsells, President and CEO of Western Copper and Gold, trading as WRN on the New York Stock Exchange and WRN on the TSX. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. they paid us for the proof. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.